welcome to On Trial, starring Mark Radlich, also starring Sean Comer. Hope you're ready, Hollywood, because you're On Trial. All rise. Court is now in session. The Honorable Judge Judy presiding. This is On Trial, the podcast where we debate the merits of film. And tonight, (laughs) there is no prosecution. There is no defense. There is only Zool. We are having one of our plea bargain episodes here as we are going to less debate and more just generally talk about this wacky movie that Whitney Seibold has been going on about, Mandy. The 2018 Nicolas Cage vehicle directed by Panos Cosmatos and produced by, of all people, Elijah Wood of Lord of the Rings fame. And once again, joining us joining us a uh, second time after our Hoofcore trilogy of reviews, Whitney Seibold of Critically Acclaimed and Now Slash Film. How do you do, sir? Hello, I'm doing quite well. Um, you say that uh, Elijah Wood is best known for, what, what was it, Lord of the something? Lord uh, of the Rings, yeah. Lord <laughs> yeah, of the Rings. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, not a fan. Uh, but um, Elijah Wood, to my eye, is best mm. known for producing these kinds of movies. He has his own production company. Mm-hmm. It's called Spectre Vision, not Spectre Vision. And mm. uh, he has produced a good number of very strange, very ambitious, not always great, but always interesting horror movies over the course of the last decade or so. Uh, Let's see if I can uh, think of somebody like he did. uh, I think he produced uh, the remake of maniac that he was in. Uh, He's um, he did Mandy, which is, you know, very important. He did a really strange film called come to daddy. Uh, He produced uh, the boy, uh, not the one about with the ventriloquist dummy, but the 2015 film. Okay. Uh, he also did a really uh, utterly revolting movie, which I'm very, very fond of called The Greasy Strangler. Uh, so th- this is sort of like a new wrinkle in his career. He, you know, started as as an actor when he was a young child, continued to act into his adulthood. But now he's producing a lot of really strange, really ambitious movies. He was the one who... Uh, brought us a girl walks home alone at night. If you ever saw that one, the uh, Anna Lily Amar poor movie, mm-hmm. uh, he's he has a very interesting and eclectic sense of taste when it comes to horror. And I'm here for it because if he's going to give us more things like Mandy, then that's great. I, I just want to see what Spectre Vision does. Um, Elijah Wood has always been close to my heart. He's also been like a, something of a celebrity crush of mine for a long time. So. Uh, <laughs> that he's producing movies that are right up my alley only endears me to him that much more. I, yeah, I was reading about that too, the Spectre vision and what it Mm -hmm. specialized in. And I was thinking about this movie as I watched it. I I literally just got done watching it about an hour ago. And so the whole reason we're we're doing this was just to kind of get everyone caught up to speed. We had you on the talk about pig. And when we were talking Mm -hmm. about pig, uh, this came up and you were, you know, you were very insistent, like, you got to see Mandy, you got to see Mandy. And I said, OK, I'll throw it on you know, like Captain America. I'll throw it on the list. And then I heard you talking doing your, rap, your end of the year wrap up with William Bibiani on Critically Acclaimed and Pig came up again. And then again, you're like, William, you got to see Mandy. You got to see Mandy. And I am 
I'm interested in what other people are like passionate about when, you know, when everyone kind of gets to be in their bonnet about a, a very specific, particular thing, especially if I've never heard of it, I want to know what that thing is and I want to hear what their thoughts are. So I took this as an opportunity. I was like, you know, Whitney seems very passionate about this movie. He seems like he really needs to talk about it with somebody. I want that someone to be me. So I, I watched this movie and, and hearing you and, and your sort of frustration with, um, the uh, mass media film culture. I get why you like this movie. This was wacky <laughs> on a lot of levels. Not and, and I I enjoyed the oddity of it, um, mm -hmm. but it did get me thinking. Coming back to the point where you last left off about how we get so caught up in the major two hundred million dollar motion picture industry. You know, especially with the way film is now, where mm -hmm. film they have to be events for people to come out of the house. That you often forget that there still exists at the other end of the spectrum the very niche art house weirdo small picture like oh yeah um, i mean these these movies never stop getting made it's just mm -hmm. a matter of where you can find them and there was this pretty glorious time when uh you could you know go see a blockbuster and then go to the theater next door and see a little indie picture like mandy at least here in los angeles i know it's right. different in other cities across the country and all over the world Um, uh, I know... Theaters seem. Yes. Sorry, sorry, you froze, and I wasn't sure if you were coming back. Oh. Go ahead. <laughs> Just uh, I, I know the uh, uh, that theaters are being sort of earmarked for big events now right. because that's what's making a lot of money uh the, just recently a spider-man film was released you may have heard of it and uh a spider it, what now are you talking about uh, like spider lady uh, uh spider-man are if you're familiar with uh, ariadne from uh ovid's metamorphoses uh-huh kind of like that but in a modern context okay um, but uh <laughs> you would if there's if it's possible to be booed off the internet you and i are getting close <laughs> <laughs> uh but you know that that movie pandemic or not still made a, a gazillion dollars adjusted yeah. for inflation and it's uh kind of proving more and more that more resources are going to go into fewer films when it comes to presentation. It means yeah. that the gigantic event blockbusters, it's going to be a lot like Broadway where you're, mm -hmm. you're going to either spend a lot of money or not, but going to a single film is going to be this gigantic most of the day event. It's everything is going to be the gigantic event because there's only going to be maybe a dozen movies a year right. uh, released in this fashion. Uh, and during the pandemic, when a lot of theaters were closing because people couldn't gather, uh, all of these really interesting indie films started moving online because there was already a home there for a lot of streaming and online rentals and mm -hmm. get things, you know, even on your phone. Uh, well, why didn't Quibi succeed? I don't know. But uh, uh, as such, it's just a matter of where you're looking. Yeah. Uh, you can find this stuff. It's all out there. It's just not going to be in theaters. And I think we just need to accept that theaters aren't the primary means by which film people are getting their films anymore uh it's it, okay it does... to assume that home video is a legit way mm -hmm. to take in your cinema certainly yes well i think netflix has normalized that but i mean what, what mandy reminds me of is the before wide release became the norm sort of the regional circuit for a motion picture you know where you would get a picture in you know in your local drive-in, but it would only be in like that region. Um, you know, you would get these uh, limited theater di distribution for films. And so 
um, if you you know if you saw it in Los Angeles, you might not see it in Wyoming or you know North Carolina or something like you things like that. And we're almost coming back around to it, but instead of it being you know physically in a limited distribution, now it's on Shutter, you know, or yeah. it's on Netflix or it's on Hulu. So it's so as you said, to kind of come back around to that point. This stuff is getting made because now the 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 long tail of infinite shelves is available to put as much of this stuff there. And as a matter of fact, we're almost at a point now where I think you have these streaming services that are hungering for it. You know, I, I brought this up on a pre on previous podcasts before, where co- um, COVID, among other things, really pushed forward the need for content for these streaming services well before they were ready for them. Mm. You know, and so like they're struggling now, like, you know, see like Disney's pulling Turning Red out of the theaters and putting it up on Disney Plus because they don't have enough to retain subscribers. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff that was even marketed for theaters is getting pulled or they're they're doing day and date like Universal's Marry Me is Mm -hmm. day and date on Peacock, things like that. So but Mm -hmm. um, go ahead. So we need, we just need to keep in mind, uh, and we're off topic here. We'll get back to Mandy at some point, yes. uh, but uh, we, uh, we need to recall that the streaming services aren't, we shouldn't view them like theatrical versus, you know, straight to VHS, like we did back mm-hmm. in the day, whereas a theater was a legit release and a straight to VHS was somehow a lesser one and Netflix and Disney, you know, that the streaming service is actually their primary mode. Now mm-hmm. the theater is secondary. Right. So if something gets released released in theaters, it's either a giant giant event or it's nothing at all. And if they mm-hmm. are giving something to be seen as their premium uh, conveyance, that's how they're trying to get it to you. Yeah. Uh, pulling seeing red out of theaters isn't an insult to seeing red. Putting it on their streaming right. service is is the uh, uh, Tiffany item. It's like the the special treatment. Yeah, tell that to the people at Pixar. Um. <laughs> well, the, the people at Pixar think the way a lot of us do, that the, the theater was supposed to be the primary means of seeing these right. things. And a lot of filmmakers are still making with that in mind, right. whereas Disney is already ahead of that. They've yep. seen the writing on the wall. They're already pushing everything to their streaming. Um, uh, when it comes to like one of the, some of their Star Wars stuff, I know they were going to do movies and now they're doing TV shows yep. instead of the movie because who nobody's going to see the Obi-Wan Kenobi the movie. Right. But everyone's going to tune in to see Obi-Wan Kenobi the TV series. That's yeah. more important now. I follow um I can't remember the name of the uh the account, but it's one of these accounts that tracks views on streaming services and television and whatnot. And uh, they have an Instagram account. That's where I follow them. And so like, mm-hmm. you know, something like the Book of Boba Fett or Hawkeye or you know any one of these shows and like the next thing you see is 1 billion people watched it. Red Notice is actually a really good example of this. Apparently, like Red Notice was like the most watched movie on Netflix like in its history. Wow! Um, into into yeah, what a garbage movie that was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no accounting for taste, but uh. in sheer volume, it was a winner. Um, and to your point earlier, and then we'll we'll jump into Mandy. Look at some of the best picture nominees in in the past two or three years. They've been on Netflix. Um, the power. Like we're going to be talking about the power of the dog on Monday, and that's I think in line for a best picture nominee. And there's a whole bunch more like that last year. I think that what it was the best picture nominee, uh, nominee for winner rather for 2020 was Nomadland. And that was a Hulu mm. exclusive uh, after a short run in the theater. 
Um, the other ones were like Mank and The Father, and Mank was a Netflix exclusive, and it just goes on and on like that. So you're not wrong in any way, shape, or form. I think like we're we're back in the age of if you want to see the you know this small silly little you know low budget movie you can it's there for you you just gotta you know <laughs> speak into your remote and say find me this movie and it'll be there so yeah. <laughs> so Mandy is a weirdo flick um, tell <laughs> tell the people I want to let you explain this tell the people what Mandy is about what happens in this movie. Oh, well, what happens in this movie? Uh, Mandy is, I, I suppose you could say it's a revenge movie. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's its so much more stylish than that. Um, Mandy uh, stars Andrea Riseborough. She's the title character. And uh, Nicolas Cage, who is uh, her husband. Mm -hmm. And they are aging metalheads. They still <laughs> have the metal t-shirts. They love listening to metal music. Uh, and the world is very abstract and colorful because they love each other so much. Everything's, uh, you know, seeps into clouds of purple and maroon. And, you know, Andrea Riseborough appears out of these colors just to sort of show that she's filling Nicolas Cage's heart. And it's like a Pink Floyd album come to life. Yeah. It, well, the, the whole movie is, is like mm -hmm. a, a heavy metal album. It takes place inside a heavy metal album cover. And, uh, like their love is so pure and beautiful that it changes the world into something really abstract. And uh, importantly, their love of heavy metal music is seen as a way to enhance the fantasy of their love rather than uh, this sort of dark worship of death. Um, if you listen to metal music, it's about the worship of death. Uh, most metal songs are about death or murder or uh, you know, something really horrible happening in your life. Disease. Listen to Metallica. All of their songs are about death. You listen to black metal, you know, Norwegian black metal. Those are about, you know, awful stuff. And uh, it, it does point out that listening to this kind of music and living in the heavy metal mindset isn't the thing that attracts death to you. And in fact, mm -hmm. The antagonist of this movie, uh, played by Linus Roach, he plays uh, it, the movie takes place in 1983 and he plays sort of this ex hippie cult leader. And they've taken way too much LSD uh, to the point where their brains are kind of damaged. And he's uh, this guy is believed that now that he actually does have magical powers and he is a messiah. Uh, and uh, this cult kidnaps Mandy and takes her, you know, takes her back to their compound. Uh, when he kind of gives this long highfalutin speech about the importance of his body and how he's going to be the Messiah. And then he takes his clothes off and she laughs at his dick and uh, <laughs> right. And rightfully so it's, it's the appropriate reaction, but uh, this angers him so that uh, they end up, uh, they end up killing her uh, right. they, they, and they kidnap uh, uh, Nicholas Cage. So he's, he's privy to all of this that's happening. Uh, also in their employ, and this is a, a very bizarre wrinkle, uh, is a race of motorcycle Hellraiser Cenobites from hell. Uh, <laughs> they're clearly not human. Uh, they, you know, they don't have faces. They wear like leather masks with spikes on them and they wear these and leather, but they wear, they drive motorcycles and they need a place to live. They don't live in like a hell dimension because, uh, Nicholas Cage will catch up with them eventually. And we see one of these Hellraiser Cenobites living in this dumpy little tiny house, watching porn and snorting cocaine off the coffee table. Like so, you do. Like, you know, like a Cenobite from hell might do. Sure. 
uh, but Nicholas Red is is Nicholas Cage's uh, name. He he after he witnesses this horrendous death of his you know his most beloved, uh, sits down in front of the television and he sees a commercial like this completely inane television commercial for a, a macaroni and cheese product called Cheddar Goblin. And I'm wearing my Cheddar Goblin T-shirt. You can see that on camera. Uh, and seeing how inane the, the outside world is causes him to snap a little bit. And it's the thing that kind of motivates him into creating this heavy metal battle axe that he forges himself on his property and goes out to seek revenge. And he goes out to seek revenge on the weird Cenobite monsters, as well as the cult leaders. It's not an action-packed death wish kind of fantasy, though. The the murders are just as strange and abstract as the opening sequences. But the opening sequences, whereas they're gentle and have a lot of soft colors, mm-hmm. the end sequences are a lot harder. They're a lot more harder-edged. There's a lot more, a uh, lot less sort of sound effects. And everything is now red and black and, and really angular. So uh, the, the whole second part of the movie is uh, Nicolas Cage murdering guys and throwing his axe and <laughs> snaping their skulls in uh, and you know confronting the Linus Roach character and the Linus Roach character not even it seems like he's not even really fully comprehending what's going on here. But Nicolas Cage kind of enters this abstract headspace and ends up, you know, getting his revenge. And the, one of the last shots of the movie is the camera pulls up and it looks and, you know, there's like multiple planets in the sky and it looks like a heavy metal album cover. Mm-hmm. So we realize this is where this whole movie has been set is in this sort of it, it's like a, a, an essay on the nature of heavy metal. It's excellent. it's funny. You, you know, you sort of use the phrase heavy metal, and it's obviously to describe a genre of music, but it actually reminded me of the heavy metal magazine. The more you talked about oh, it, yeah, yeah. The, the more you, you brought that up as a sort of an aesthetic and a motif. I was like, you know what? Having seen the movie and having read a bunch of issues of heavy metal, I'm like, that's what seems that's what that seems to be the direction this was pointed in. Uh, a couple of things, the axe that he's carrying around, I was reading, was supposed to be made to look like the F from a from Celtic Frost. From uh, the band, <laughs> nice. Okay, <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So, the interesting thing about uh, again this movie is the uh, the color paletteing on this. I actually thought because I watched this on Plex, a friend of mine got a copy of it and I watched it there, and I was like, I thought at first I thought there was something wrong with like the cinematography in this. It's like, why mm-hmm. does it keep fading out like that? And it's like it's supposed to be. The movie is sort of supposed to be the very psychedelic in a way. Mm. Um, it's supposed to have a psychedelic aesthetic. The the colors fade in and out. The scenes fade in and out. Um, sometimes there's like ADR dialogue over just black nothingness, things like that. Um, you are supposed to be, as an audience member, transported to like another place, which is weird because you know the initial setting is just this house by the lake, and it's just a normal couple doing normal living by the lake stuff. But as it goes on, you know, it kind of also doubles as like a descent into madness for, for Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. You know, he's obviously traumatized by, you know, the kidnapping and then subsequent immolation of his girlfriend, uh, sorry, his wife uh, and all of that. And there's this really great scene where after he wakes up from all of that, he downs a bottle of vodka and has this really primal scream in the kitchen. It's one of the things we talked about with Pig 
where you know his performance was so good but it was understated like this is nickel this is all the stuff that everyone talks about with nicholas cage like going crazy but in a very pointed way you know where it's appropriate for what they're trying to get across in this movie hmm. i uh the conversation around Nicolas Cage is is a little limiting because uh, people do focus on that craziness mm. you were talking about. This idea that uh, Nicolas Cage uh, only does only does the crazy stuff. Um, he's very good at playing crazy, but he's a mm. good enough actor to know when to employ that energy and when not to. Right. Um, he's not the guy you hire because he's like a crazy guy who can only do crazy performances. He's just an actor who happens to be very good at giving some pretty uh, extreme performances. Weirdly. So, I kept thinking about national treasure while I was watching this. And it, and the hmm. reason why I was like, how are, how is the guy that was the lead in national treasure, the, you know, this goofy takeoff of Indiana Jones in a very sanitized, like Disney world mm -hmm. is also the same guy in Mandy. That's quite the range. Yeah, he, I, I think that's what we're looking at here. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people don't don't understand that Nicolas Cage is an actor with a great deal of range. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and in recent years, there's been this sort of um, reconsideration of his career, and the the reconsideration is that he's only crazy, uh, mm -hmm. but he's not. He actually does a heck of a lot more than than what we see, and um, and I, I think Mandy is a good example of that because he's actually very soulful and very gentle in the first half mm -hmm. of this movie. He uh, has a, a great deal of relatable, almost adolescent affection for mm -hmm. Mandy, how, uh, how he looks at her and how he sees every detail of her face and seems to love every bit of that. He's mm -hmm. not a kook in those early scenes. No. He's actually a very hum giving a very humane performance in those early scenes. And uh, the, the the little the kind of self-aware gag if there is one is that he's like this metalhead guy who's wearing the kind of shirt you might wear when you're 13 with the the <laughs> tiger on it uh and yeah and yeah he's playing like this sort of overgrown metalhead dude uh mm -hmm. and the message here is that those overgrown metalhead dudes and their overgrown metalhead girlfriends are actually incredibly healthy and have a better relationship than you'll ever have uh, and the, the, the love and the affection that he feels mm -hmm. is genuine. It's not something it's, he's not overplaying any of that. Right. And he's in a, a very stylized movie. And, you know, by the end he's committing these extreme acts of violence and he's bugging his eyes out and he's covered in blood mm -hmm. and that's exciting but that's meant as a contrast to the first half of the movie where everything was right. very gentle and he's actually very calm and clean. Uh, we, we were joking around yeah. about Spider-Man before and um, I, I, I'm linking that to the other, the second half of the movie where it gets very graphic. I was thinking about Evil Dead a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam Raimi's Evil Dead um, and how <sighs> I know this is described as like a psych psychological thriller and horror, but much like Evil Dead, with a lot of the kills, I was laughing hysterically. And I'm typically mm -hmm. not a gore hound. Um, yeah. I don't like gross, but like, I, and I can't tell if this was purposeful or what they were going with here. But when he gets, when he goes into the trailer and he fights the first, I'm going to use your word, when he fights the first Cenobite, um, he, you know, the Cenobite, the other thing about this is, is again, he's not a superhero. He's like losing half of these fights. 
and and then you know he somehow finds a way to, to get through it. So the Cenobites on top like mounted him, and uh, he's going in for the kill, and and Nicolas Cage is able to uh, get out of the situation. But the camera is focused on Nicolas Cage, and whatever. In, I guess he impaled him in some way, but the guy is just just pouring blood all over Nicolas Cage's face. It's like, oh. <laughs> and I was, and that's where the movie kind of breaks me. Where like I was really intently watching for the first part of it, trying to figure this movie out, thinking about like what is it about Whitney Seibel that likes this movie? Why you know why when I said it to one of my friends, he's like, oh my god, you're gonna watch that? Like like <laughs> it was, like it was a challenge. Um, it's a good luck. Um, you know, I was trying to figure those things out as I'm wa- as I'm actively watching this, and then this movie takes the switch, and I'm laughing so hard at the over the top bloodiness of the thing. And what makes it even funnier is Nicolas Cage, um, a- as he's being covered in blood, has this ridiculous face about him. Mm. So the whole thing just sort of snaps me out of the seriousness of the movie, and I'm like, okay, we've hit silly land now. um but in silly and again the way that the evil dead was silly where it was gross and it was graphic at times but it was also nutty you know and Mm. and enjoyable i know people are huge fans of it so fast forward there's a scene and you you in your uh synopsis you didn't mention it he doesn't just kill these people at one point he's in a chainsaw duel (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah that's uh... (laughs) Uh, that that's a detail I could have mentioned. Yeah, look, I, I know there's a lot of things we see just repeated throughout our 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 action and horror movies, but it's rare to get to see an actual chainsaw duel happening, and I laughed pretty hard at that. <laughs> what was even funnier was how it was choreographed because one guy, the guy he's fighting, has a super long chainsaw, just a ridiculously long one, and he's got a short one, and he actually actually disarm him and get in close and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I was laughing pretty hard at all that. And then fast forward again to the climactic scene. He's finally gotten to our boss villain. He's gotten to our um, he's gotten to our cult leader. Which, and I laughed at this too for for a different reason. Do cult leaders ever have a different motivation other than God said I can have everything I want? And what does that tell us about the about the psychology of people who who land there? Because I feel like every time I'm I come across a cult leader in fiction, it's always mm-hmm. well, because God spoke to me and said I can be a total brat and have anything I want, you know, and they say it a lot better than that. But that's basically the gist of it. And it's like is this, well, this is this is what cultism is all about. Just you know having no, no self-control. Go ahead, Whitney. Well I mean the, the whole idea that that stems from uh, a, a lot of those utopian cults from the 1960s if you're familiar with some of them um Mm -hmm. stuff like uh you know jonestown of course is the the biggest example but this idea that uh, a charismatic leader provides all of the answers don't they and that's what attracts the followers they're Mm -hmm. looking for somebody with answers whereas uh, as time passes it's proven time and time again that the leaders of these things only want power it's not about uh what uh most religious bodies tend to focus on if you look at you know what's the the underlying philosophy of most religions right. you'll find that it's the destruction of the ego it's about mm. uh breaking down the self rather than vaunting it and uh as uh, as such it's sort of this uh misinterpretation of a lot of religious doctrine that if there mm. is a god in this uh sort of hierarchy of certain religions uh certainly i can put myself up on this hierarchy i can be the one sort of through whom uh you know god speaks which puts me in a vaunted position which means i have power which means i have power over others i now have this will to dominate and uh 
So it's it's not something unique to this movie. That's just sort of the way a lot of cults function, especially sure. uh, especially in the United States, I would say. But it, that's a worldwide thing. Um. So. And then at the end, you know, when he finally has them in his clutches, the, the guy, of course, begs off. It's like, I'll do anything you want. And then he says a line, which if you're familiar with the, um, I think it's um, don't um, menace society. He's like, I'll suck your dick. And it's like, boom, dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I laughed at. Uh, so one of the things, you know, other than it's just such an oddball of a movie, specifically, what are the things that make you passionate about this movie that you're telling people about? And you're like, you got to see this thing. Like if you elevate a pitch, somebody that they have to watch this, what do you tell them? Uh, it's, um, how, how do I pitch? I mean, first of all, like, you know, you can't really pitch me. I guess you pitch Mandy as sort of the, the more grindhouse elements of it. This is mm-hmm. a, a heavy metal revenge movie. Uh, but it's because it's made by Panos Cosmatos. It's a lot, uh, it's a lot more stylish than that. It's a lot moodier than that. It's uh, sort of an art house grindhouse movie mm-hmm. uh, simultaneously. Uh, and as such, uh, will, will play out a little bit differently than you might expect. It's going to feel a lot different than you might expect. What I appreciate is both the affection and the wildness of it. It's not just about extreme entertaining movie violence. It's this mm. really disturbing fantasy world in which it takes place. Uh, it it has some pretty wild ideas in it. He doesn't just go out and kill people with a gun. He mm-hmm. forges his own bloody axe that he's going to do it with. He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't just fight with these people. He gets into chainsaw duels mm. uh, in this sort of parallel heavy metal universe. Uh, it's a, a combination of the mood and the genre and the style that really mm-hmm. brings this forward as something unique and interesting and something that I think everybody ought to see. Is there anything about the movie um, as a, yeah, as a critic that you looked at and go, eh, this could have been better or, you know, or I didn't like this. Anything to jump out at you? Um, let's see. What, what could I really point to? I think uh, they, they could have, gone a little further into the history of the cult they talked about how they were just hippies who had taken too much acid Mm -hmm. it would have been nice to see or at least have some sort of words about sort of the idealism of the cult how it started Mm -hmm. how it used to be something maybe positive that they felt but when we catch up with them i think audiences are so uh familiar with that kind of a cult that it doesn't necessarily need that Mm-hmm. But it would have been nice to have it regardless. I feel like knowing what sort of twisted ideal they were reaching for mm-hmm. would have uh, maybe uh, made us understand the cult a little bit better, make us know those villains a little bit better and make us uh, not necessarily sympathize with them, but understand them and understand why they did what they did Uh but at the same time, I do appreciate that they have some sort of league with these Cenobite creatures, mm-hmm. which is now might have been too much. It would have made the moves, the world seem a little bit more mechanical rather than the demons being just the sort of natural outcropping of where we're living. I was getting this kind of ref and feel from the movie. I think this was my somewhat frustration with it. My only real frustration was... 
it, it seems when you don't have um, like the Hollywood notes system and you're allowed to just kind of do your art piece and really no other consider they had a six million dollar budget, you know, there's um, this go and make your movie. I kept thinking like this feels like somebody's very like high high highly produced student film. Like th there is no there there's no sense of any kind of studio interference here. It's just whatever crazy thing is in your mind, um, mm -hmm. put it on film. But I think sometimes, and this leads to an even bigger conversation, sometimes when you don't have any kind of control system or anyone sort of weighing in, um I, I think sometimes you fall victim to your own um your own faults as as a as an artist you know we tend to focus on the, the big ones like like a george lucas whoever you know when he's in when when he's collaborating with people he tends to do better than when he just does his own thing and then he ends up falling victim to some of his shortcomings mm -hmm. the issue here with this one was and that's why i was thinking about refin you know when i've watched any of refin stuff it, you know, it's these long gazing shots of things and people taking their time through the dialogue. And there's no there's no urgency to kind of move things along, which is mm -hmm. the sort of note you get from a studio, which is, hey, we got, you know, as Kevin Smith once said, you got to get the kids to the mall a little bit faster. And so while I can appreciate the artistic lens here of like, I want, you know, a lot of stuff you were talking about earlier of, you know, we want to show this world and we want to take you on this journey. Like it's two hours to get you know it's a two-hour film that felt like it could have been 90 minutes unless you're going to throw in some of that backstory about the uh, about the lsd which corrupted all of these people and the cult yeah. and why they're following him in the first place when we meet that cult leader he's on his back berating this woman and i don't never really got a sense you know then the next time you see him he's jerking off in front of mandy and i'm like well <laughs> <laughs> i'd like a little more as to you know if he's David Koresh, why is he David Koresh? And we never right, that. right, right. Um, so far, I'm not sold on that. And instead, it's like we don't need to worry about story characterization or any of those things. We need to, you know, this is film, and we need to show you things. And it's like, uh huh, <laughs> a little faster. <laughs> yeah, let's get going. Let's let's move it a little bit faster. So I think I think what I'm what I'm pointing to is it's a little slowly slowly paced. Um, maybe a little slowly paced for my liking. But that, mm -hmm. you know, but again, you could be watching it and going, I don't need this to go any faster than it's already going. It's perfectly paced the way it is. I'm like, eh. um, you know, difference of opinion, I suppose. <laughs> uh, all right. I think um, I think we've exhausted all that there is to talk about with Mandy. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, bring up real quick? Um, no, no I, th I think that's it. I think that's it for now. I could go in mm -hmm. into much greater detail, but uh, no, I think that's it for now. Okay. Well, before we go, I know I asked you this last time. What are you listening to these days? Well, like in terms of music, yeah. um, uh, nothing, absolutely nothing. My car radio <laughs> is broken, uh, so I, I drive in silence and I work at home. And uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot I can do about listening to music at home. However, uh, for Christmas, I did get my wife a new turntable. So we're going to try to listen to some records when we get a chance. But uh, yeah, unfortunately... Um, yeah, you know, I'm still acquiring music, but I'm not mm -hmm. getting a chance to listen to it. I found uh, a rockabilly musician uh, who is friends with the business that is next door to where I work. So uh, they have like this guy's CDs. So I picked up one of those. I got a free 45 with that. Uh, I also for Christmas got a uh, as a gift, got a membership to the Museum of Jurassic Technology, which is a museum here in Los Angeles that has um 
sort of arcane forms of knowledge on display back when people felt they could manipulate magnetic fields for health and spiritual purposes or uh, the strange beliefs like, you know, breathing a duck's breath will cure what ails you. Um, it also has some real, uh, some really interesting uh, uh, pieces of art. There's a, a sculptor who was able to sculpt entire figures literally within the eye of a needle. They're that small and you need a, like a microscope to look at these sculptures. You would use like a, an ultra fine yak's hair to make these little uh, plastic sculptures. Uh, and they also have music in the gift shop, the, the kinds of music you might listen to while you're perusing these very bizarre exhibits. So a lot of like ancient folk tunes. And I got one of those. I got some ancient folk tunes to listen to. Well, that is, um, that's all very interesting. However, <laughs> if you're just looking for some modern pop music, to, you know, while you're working at your desk and you like to write with the music on, I'll tell you, we're giving away a free 30-day trial of Amazon Music Unlimited. Uh, if you click the link in the description of this podcast at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. You can uh, partake of our free 30-day trial of Amazon Music Unlimited. Uh, complete the sign-up process. If you like it, you keep it, you pay the monthly fee. If you don't, you can cancel it. No fuss, no must, no contracts, no nothing. All right. Um, so go ahead and tell people where they can find you. Tell them about your podcast. Okay. Well, I'm I'm uh, doing my podcast from the Critically Acclaimed Network with one Mr. Billy, William Bibiani. And uh, William Bibiani and I have... We're doing pretty much a podcast a day. We have podcasts devoted to new films and also television. We do Star Trek. We do Batman. We answer your letters if you want to write into us. We have podcasts devoted to it all. Uh, and that can be found uh, at the Critically Acclaimed Network. Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, just look it up. And uh, we're also on social media. You can find William at, at William Viviani. You can find me at, at Whitney Seibold. Uh, that's on the Twitter. We're also on the Instagrams. Uh, William has his own uh, soap business. I have my own uh, radio dramas that you can purchase from me directly. Uh, just look us up. And as of just a couple months ago, I started publishing articles on Slash Film. And so you can read my my chicken scratchings over there. What's the plan for the next critically acclaimed? Do you get into the theater to do Redeeming Love or the uh, the Tiger Prince or the, the third one whose name I can't remember? It's actually out in theaters this weekend. Oh. Uh, the 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 truth of the matter is we get to what we can get to. Uh, yeah. if, if it's something we can make it to in theaters or if we can get mm -hmm. to a screening, then we'll do that. If we can get a screener, it's a little bit catch as catch can these days. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a new Ice Age film that's on a <laughs> that's on a streaming service. Ah, uh, good might, old Buck Wild. Yes. Yeah, we we might talk about an Ice Age film just because it's accessible to us. That's sure. kind of where we are. And that's a great um, one to watch with your family. Something. Uh, something that's else. How I get that's my half mind done. Uh, here, here's a fascinating one that's being released this week and we're going to talk about on the next podcast. There is a movie called New York Ninja that was discovered by, I think it was Vinegar Syndrome, uh, the uh, B-movie studio. And what they discovered was this film master of some ninja film from like the mid-90s that had no sound. And I don't think they had a script either. So they had to hire lip readers to approximate what the dialogue of the film was and then hire actors to record the dialogue. Uh, so this, there's this bizarre patchwork project that was picked up by Vinegar Syndrome called New York Ninja. This really looking forward to that. We're going to be reviewing that one on the next uh, critically acclaimed. 
if either one of you have time, Netflix dropped um, Munich, The Edge of War. I watched it this morning. We're going to be talking about it on Tuesday. Uh, worth a worth a look. See, I enjoyed it. Hmm. Uh, based on a novel, um, I guess about uh, the, uh, whatever the treaty was that uh, turned over the Sudetenland to Germany right before World War II. So, um, with uh, Jeremy Irons playing Neville Chamberlain, but it was hmm. good. So, I, I, you know, if you guys get to it, if that's something that interests you, I'm definitely curious to see what your thoughts on it are. In the meantime, before we go, before I get into my plugs, I want to remind everybody that yet another one of our sponsors is Grammarly. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects uh, hum hundreds of grammar punctuation Spelling mistakes will also catch contextual errors and improving your vocabulary and stepping style improvement. So download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All righty. Well, I want to thank Whitney for coming on today. This is one of two podcasts I'm doing. And one of two podcasts that's either directly or tangentially related to you. I don't know if oh you know goodness. that or not. Yes. You have a big influence on my life. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> the other thing that you did uh, a little ways back, you had a guy come on critically acclaimed, and you talked about the life and times of Quibi. And you went through like oh, all golly, the, yes. <laughs> you went through all these different shows. And the one that stood out to me that I'm like, hey, wait, oh, what now? I, 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 I taught that was that was with uh, B. Peterson. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. B and I talked a lot about about Quibi and, and the ins, ins and outs of Quibi. Uh, they and I were maybe some of the only people to watch Quibi in any capacity, <laughs> like in like sort of a passionate, positive kind of a way. So yes, yeah, that, that's that also really one of the fun. things I hear you talk about very often. Um, <laughs> that, that, that was really be, fun. That was really fun. It was. It was a great show. Um, unfortunately, not a lot of what you guys talked about on Quibi really jumped out at me. But one thing did, and I have, and I have sort of tucked it away. And now we're talking about it tonight. My two of my friends and I were talking Anna Kendrick's dummy. Because uh -huh. Anna Kendrick palling around with a sex doll is right is right up my alley. Okay. <laughs> my wife and I watched that last night and laughed our asses off at it. What a weirdo feminist show that was. <laughs> like, like, here's some, you know, we need a place for you know, modern, you know, a real take on modern feminism and what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a feminist. Okay. But what about sex doll? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there it is. This little 90 minute thing that she did um, with Donald Logue. And uh, Meredith, uh, I can't remember that woman's last name, but Hagner, I think. Uh, but it was really, really good. And so me and my buddy, Jesse from Source Material and Jason Teasley from Second and Short are going to talk about it tonight. So that's what's on the agenda there. Uh, this past week, we did, what did we do? We, did, we reviewed Lordy Abracadaver, uh, Scream 5, or Scream 2022. For the Superblog team up, a bunch of us got together and we reviewed the George Perez illustrated Logan's Run issues to the Logan's Run movie. And then mm -hmm. last night, uh, we reviewed Hawkeye season one. This weekend, we've got a um, an alternative commentary for UFC 270, Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Gone. And then uh, kicking off this coming week, we've got an, a re-air of the time that Jesse... Pat Mullen and I compared the comic to the movie The Kitchen, starring Melissa McCarthy and Tiffany Haddish. Uh, next week, we've got a triple feature of Power of the Dog, French Dispatch, and Cop Shop, uh, Munich, The Edge of War. We're reviewing the Night Flight Orchestra, Air Romantic 2. Pat okay. Mullen will be back to do the Mania of WrestleMania. We'll be joined by Stuart Lang, formerly of 401mania.com. 
We'll be doing 14, 15, and 16 this time, the you know, the Austin era, as it were. Ronnie Adams will be back to review Wheel of Time with me. And then finally, 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 uh, Gavin Napier, formerly of the Casual Heroes, and I will be doing a commentary for that time Ric Flair won the Royal Rumble and the World Heavyweight Championship. And that we're doing that to celebrate the upcoming <laughs> Royal Rumble that's nice. happening next weekend. So, all right. Once again, Mr. Seibold, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank I you. Hope you'll be back soon. I'll come up with something else wacky that we can do together. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, I hope so. I hope I hope uh, to always keep your listeners off balance. Yeah, I want to I want to make people as uncomfortable as possible. And I think you're the right guy to do that with. Hooray. <laughs> All right. Until then, folks, for Whitney Seibold, critically acclaimed, I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe and behave. 